Welcome, welcome to Not a Hoax, Not a Dream. I'm Ben Rathbone, recording from The Phantom Zone, where I was banished to by Superman earlier this week. I'm assuming this is some misunderstanding. Not sure what I did, but hopefully my parole meeting will be any day now. Ben! Hey, Ben! Cameron, is that you? Ben, what are you doing here? I I was sent here by Superman. What are you, what are you doing here? Uh, I, there were some explosions, and I saw Superman 2 with a laser, but now I'm here. I don't know, I'm just floating. Hey, reach your hand out. Catch me. Okay, okay, we're try, trying to catch you. Uh, yeah! Yeah! Uh, missed. Oh, shit, sorry, man. Uh, well, that's all right. I guess I'll just keep floating out here for a while. Maybe I'll bounce off something. Yeah, you'll probably come back. Hey, did Superman look kind of weird to you? Yeah, he, uh, he kind of a robot face. Huh, that's weird. Mine had sunglasses and a mullet. Yeah, that is kind of weird. Hey, uh, I guess I'll see you later. Um, space is kind of big in here, you know? Yeah, I haven't quite figured out the physics of this place yet. Oh, well. Hey, watch out for Zod! Do what? Watch out for Zod! Watch out for who? Zod! Watch out for Zod! I couldn't really make him out, but shouldn't be a big deal. That was my friend Cameron Guile. He's a voice actor and general doer of things. Hopefully we can get him back to talk to him a little bit more, but we'll see. It all depends on whether we can figure out how to navigate this weird extra-dimensional space. But for now, let's kick things off. It's time to talk about the life, the death, and the return of the granddaddy of all superheroes, Superman. The year is 1938. In the long shadow of World War I, Germany becomes increasingly hostile towards the rest of Europe, while continuing their campaign of persecution and violence against Jews at home. Meanwhile, in the United States of America, two men born of Jewish immigrants sell an illustrated story to national allied publications. The main character is a physical marvel, with abilities beyond those of any living human, but who devotes his life to those in need. He is a champion of the oppressed. Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster named the character Superman. Action Comics, number one. By Jerome Siegel and Joe Schuster. Our story begins by introducing us to the origins of our hero. Stop me if you've heard this one. On the brink of a distant planet's imminent destruction, a scientist placed his infant son on a rocket so that his only child would survive the apocalypse. On Earth, the baby is discovered by wholesome Midwestern family, the Kents. Wait, I'm reading here that no... He's actually discovered by a passing motorist who turns the child into an orphanage. At the same age some babies learn to walk, Clark here is shown lifting a chair with one hand. The orphanage staff lose their shit over this, understandably so, but apparently no one gives him over to Area 51. So that's good. The comic then gives us a rundown of his abilities. Years before power creep set in, these powers right now include leaping one-eighth of a mile over a 20-story building, raising steel girders one-handed, beating an express train in a race, and possessing skin that can resist penetration from anything less than a bursting shell. The source of his powers, you ask? Well, gentle listeners, like the rest of the inhabitants of his home planet, Clark Ken's physical structure is millions of years more advanced than her own. Pretty cool. I thought they were going to make it something lame, like he got his energy from the sun or something. In case the reader thinks these powers are implausible, the comic helpfully reminds us that ants can lift items hundreds of times heavier than themselves, and grasshoppers can leap fantastic distances proportional to their size. Upon maturing into his full powers, Clark decided that he would use his incredible strength to help mankind. 
So he becomes Superman, champion of the oppressed, the physical marvel who had sworn to devote his existence to helping those in need. Superman's first printed adventure begins with him leaping through the air, carrying a bound and gagged woman. Uh, not a great look so far. After placing the captured damsel by a tree, Superman breaks into the governor's estate. Not stopping to answer anybody's questions, our caped protagonist rips apart a steel door and shrugs off a bullet to his chest, as he forces his way up to the governor's room. Turns out that Superman isn't just acting like a maniac for no reason. A woman, named Evelyn Curry, is about to be electrocuted, but Superman can prove he's, she's innocent. That woman tied up outside? Yeah, that's the real murderer, and Supes has her signed confession. Only word from the governor can halt the execution, and the official makes the call just in time. The next day, Clark sees in the newspaper that Curry has been released. He's relieved that there was no mention of him. No longer in his superhero duds, Clark reports to work as a reporter for the Daily Star. His chief asks him to get to the bottom of this Superman character. While in the office, Clark gets a tip about a domestic abuse situation, and so changes into Superman, heads to the scene, and beats the shit out of the abusing husband. Fucking A. Back in the office, in his work attire, Clark asks his co-worker Lois out on a date. She says yes, and they go out on the town. While the two dance, tough guy Butch decides he'll cut in. Clark acquiesces in order to put up the front of being a puny human, but Lois wants nothing to do with the newcomer, and slaps Butch across the face. Disgusted with Clark's cowardice, she leaves the venue in a taxi. Butch, sour over the whole slap thing, gathers his boys in a car to give chase. After they catch up to the cab, and pull Lois into their car, Superman shows up, shakes everyone out of the vehicle, destroys the car, hangs Butch up on an electric pole, and takes Lois back into the city, asking her not to write up a story about the event. Clark's boss gives him an assignment in South American country San Monte, but Clark decides to go to Washington, D.C. instead, where, as Superman, he confronts a senator he's caught taking illicit bribes from a crooked lobbyist. Supes drags the senator through the air by his leg, threatens to electrocute him, and wonders aloud whether he can jump between two buildings without dropping the politician to his death. Fucking A again! Superman's awesome! The issue ends there, with a to be continued. The final note in the comic reads, So begins the startling adventures of the most sensational strip character of all time, Superman. A physical marvel, a mental wonder. Superman is destined to reshape the destiny of a world. Incoming! Whoa, here's Cameron, floating back in. D- hey, Cameron, what's up? Watch out, watch out, watch out! Ah, on my feet this time. Yeah, that, that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm getting the hang of it. Anyway, what are you doing over here? You got a microphone, some some headphones? Uh, what are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm recording a podcast. Do you want to join? Uh, sure. What are you talking about? Right now, we're talking about Action Comics number one. Have you read it? Of course I've read it. Nice. So what'd you think of it? Well, what do you mean when I thought of it? It felt like reading a time capsule. And for those kids at home listening, a time capsule is something we did at school in the 90s where they taught you to bury your dreams real deep into the dirt and... Oh, okay. If you know, you know. But as far as the issue, did he feel like Superman to you in, in this first one? Yeah, you know what? To me, he did feel like Superman by the end of it. He had the suit, he had the powers, and more importantly, he was willing to use those for good, noble reasons. And... Yeah, that to me felt like Superman. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah, it was a little weird to see how different he is back then. You know, he doesn't fly. He doesn't fight supervillains necessarily. He's just kind of a 
dude that's really strong in a city and trying to defend people that are trodden on but it's definitely the essence of superman there but but a lot different scope i guess yeah that's probably why it was so popular at the time because they just bundled a bunch of different powers that everybody sees themselves having at some point either in your dreams or yeah as a kid into one person and they said this guy is willing to stop crime and do the things that you and i might not be able to so as a someone to look up to in a comic book i think they probably had a winner on their hands right from the get-go right right i was surprised how quickly they did their origin like the whole baby in a rocket from a dying planet crash lands on earth that's literally like two panels well there's no kents in this one either there's no farm in kansas there's no growing up as a boy discovering your powers he was just baby and now i'm a man jumping over buildings and i think for the time that's just what people wanted they wanted to get to the meat and potatoes they didn't really want all the uh, intro stuff especially since they had other supernatural characters and other comics that were overloading them with other backstories here was exactly what you saw on the pages a strong guy a fast guy a smart guy and by page two, you've got that. Yeah, I thought I thought that was pretty cool too. And there's so much material in there in that first page. I think the Sci-Fi Channel several years ago had like a whole show just on Krypton, and it's just introduced to us in this. They don't even call it Krypton in this in this first issue, but it's just introduced to us in those two. It's panels. a single frame. Yeah, I like that shot of him as a baby, just lifting that chair with his one arm and, and all of the the staff at the orphanage are just whoa look at what that baby's doing yeah they're just losing their minds and it's just like i want to see like an entire story or issue just on that like in the orphanage like some kind of elseworlds or something or, baby superman yeah where like they're just trying to like they're losing their mind and, and you know it really makes you i don't know it makes me like feel warm feelings towards this orphanage staff because obviously they didn't sell this baby out they were like, oh, you don't want to like sell him to science or whatever, you know. He's well, I don't know. You you don't want to threaten the baby. I mean, look at what it can do. Well, that's true too. It's like if we try, if we do anything bad to it, it'll come back. So we just got to keep this a secret, I guess. And, and yeah, what what do you think about like that first scene of him? I guess just like breaking into this mansion. Oh, that was that was really good storytelling. I thought because the first couple of frames there, he's got a woman tied up and he just drops her off and says, "Peace, you're on your own." And you're thinking wait a minute, is this guy supposed to be a hero? That It leaves you in suspense. And that's a good way to kick off a story. So he's, he's running in and barging through this house and messing everybody up. And you don't understand why until a little bit later. But um, it, it has you hooked right away. Right. Yeah. I, I actually didn't know what to make of that. Because he's trying to... He, basically what he's trying to do is he's trying to save this woman who's on the electric chair. And only the governor can commute her death sentence so he the time the time's ticking he has to break into this mansion and like the butler's shooting him trying to stop him there's like a steel door like on, on the governor's room and he's just breaking through all these barriers and he goes to the governor and says hey you have to call immediately to save this woman and there's there is a panel where he explains that this woman he has tied up outside that's the actual murderer but it, it's like very fast and it's very like it's almost jarring it's like wait but why why does why does this guy have this tied up woman and then he, he explains it in that panel and it, yeah it's, it's actually pretty good pacing it's very good pacing the, the people who wrote these original stories knew how to hold an audience of course they were writing other comics at the time too and had to do that from week to week to week so they knew what to give people yeah and i, I like the different things that he does in this issue as well so he he roughs up an abusive husband and then later on he finds this corrupt politician and just kind of starts like flinging him through the air <laughs> which was yeah I wouldn't we like to nice. do that huh? <laughs> yeah 
So those are, yeah, it'd be kind of fun to see Superman do stuff like that now. I mean, I, he probably does stuff like stop domestic abuse scenarios. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's modern day issues that cover that once in a while, but I don't know if he's really attacking corrupt politicians too often, but that'd be kind of neat to see. He's, he's almost bending them over the knee in half of these panels. Yeah. But then that's, that's the point of these comics is for the readers to live out their fantasies. Everybody lives in a world with corrupt politicians. Everybody lives in a world where, you know, guys are beating their wives at home. And everybody wants to do something about it, but you feel like you can't most of the time. And right. to, to be able to read about someone who can, you know, that's going to sell paper. So how do you feel about there not being a yellow sun in this? I'm conflicted. I, I did think it was kind of neat explanation they said of his anatomy just being millions of years advanced. I think it's all right. It definitely is consistent with kind of what we know about the home planet of Superman anyway and the people there. They were way more advanced than people on Earth of our time. Uh, but it leaves the door open for more explanation later, more details to be filled in. It's just, again, pretty concise. Here's what he can do. Here's his ability. It's just more advanced. Yeah, exactly. That's actually the real strong point, I think, of this issue is it, it gives real brief explanations and gives a lot of room to grow. And obviously it did. You know, the Superman mythos that we have has a lot of these elements, but with just a lot more detail. And that's pretty neat. Well, there's a great suite of action across all of the panels, too. Different perspectives from all of the people involved. And it does a great job of just showing what's going on. It doesn't have to explain a whole lot. The viewer can see it. Yeah, exactly. Ugh, I'm really hungry now. Hey, are you hungry? Yeah, I could eat. Okay, good. I've snatched some snacks over on one of those other rocks. I'm going to jump to it. Uh, I'll be back in five are, are minutes. Are you sure you could make it? Well, if I don't, it might be five hours. So uh, just hang tight. I, are you sure this is a good idea? No, but uh, I'm too hungry to care. Uh, see ya! Uh, oh, okay, there he goes. All right. Prime, you can't die. Do not grieve. Soon I shall be one with the Matrix. Okay, we're going to fast forward a whole whopping 55 years to 1993. Three new generations come to life as the 20th century rolls on by. The Boomers in the 40s, Gen X in the 70s, and Millennials in the 80s, and almost all of them have at least heard the name of Superman, if they haven't read about him in the comics, or watched him in action in one of the character's many radio, television, or movie adaptations. Superman becomes synonymous with the concept of superhero. When you think of humans with extraordinary powers, he's the guy. Jerry and Joe's creation has done pretty well for himself. In fact, the creators sue DC Comics over ownership of Superman. In 1975, upon the announcement of the Superman film, Warner Brothers decided to pay the creators a yearly stipend and provide medical benefits. The studio, as well as DC Comics, agreed to credit their names in all future Superman stories. What about in the comic books? What's Superman been up to in the DC Universe? Well, it's complicated. First of all, which Superman? Which DC Universe? After the hero makes his debut in 1938, he's eventually joined by other characters. Batman is introduced in 1939, The Flash in Green Lantern in 1940, and Wonder Woman in 1941. Superman gradually becomes part of a shared fictional universe of several colorfully costumed heroes and villains. In 1956, DC introduces a new Flash in the pages of Showcase No. 4. This Flash is a reboot of the original character, meant to replace the older hero who held the name. 
the publisher soon does the same with Green Lantern. All's well and good until the new Flash meets the old Flash in 1961, introducing the concept of two Earths. What does this have to do with Superman? Well, the Kryptonian has met both versions of the character, so which Earth does he belong to? I guess there's... two of him. One of them marries and settles down with Lois Lane, while the other's adventures would take place in the same universe as the new Flash and Green Lantern, who he fights alongside as an off-and-on member of the Justice League. This two Earths thing eventually becomes so much of a headache that DC decides to destroy both of them and start over completely in 1985. Up until this point, the scope of Superman's powers has drastically increased from his humble ant and grasshopper days. He can now fly instead of leap, and is strong enough to move planets. X-ray vision, heat rays, super breath, freeze breath, telepathy, ventriloquism, hypnosis, and countless other abilities join his power set. Christopher Reeves famously depicts him turning back time in the 1978 film and causing amnesia with a kiss in the sequel. With the DC Universe's reset, these powers are balanced while still retaining a lot of the gains since 1938. In addition, Superman's origin is retold with an 80s backdrop. When sales of DC's flagship character started to decline in the early 90s, the writing and editorial team began to brainstorm a big event to catch readers' attention. One idea was to marry him and Lois, but that they needed to postpone. What else could they do? Jerry Ordway reportedly pitched the idea as a joke. To paraphrase, he said, Well, we could kill him. Superman, Superman. Volume 2, 75. Words and Pictures by Dan Jurgens. Finished art by Brett Breeding. Letters by John Costanza. And colors by Glenn Whitmore. We open to Superman in the Monster Doomsday in open combat in the heart of Metropolis. High-tech flying soldiers attempt to help Superman by firing lasers capable of destroying a tank, but the weapons have no effect on the monster. Hovering over the battle is the Daily Planet helicopter, carrying Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen. Doomsday hurls Superman into the chopper, but our hero quickly finds his balance and saves his lover and his friend from the falling vehicle. Superman says he wishes he could take Lois and Jimmy away from Doomsday's reach, but he dare not leave the monster to its own devices for any period of time. He does take the time to kiss Lois, while Doomsday is distracted by the helicopter and flying laser men. Clearly fearing that this will be their last moment together, Clark tells Lois, Just remember, no matter what happens, I'll always love you. Always. Superman rejoins the fight with Doomsday, and the two begin duking it out so fast that those laser guys can't even lock on to the monster anymore. After Doomsday pile drives Superman straight into the ground, Lois runs over to try to help. Before she has the villain's full attention, however, Superman bursts out of the ground and gives his opponent a formidable kidney punch from behind. He follows this up with a gnarly shot of heat ray vision that sends Doomsday hurling into a wall. Superman says to beat his opponent, he'll have to be as ferocious as it, to which Lois objects, saying, But, you can't. He wants to kill. And you, you can't. Doomsday rebounds back and starts tearing into the Man of Steel, struggling to stay conscious. Superman knows he has to beat the monstrosity soon, if he has a chance of stopping it at all. The two trade hits so powerful that they send shockwaves throughout the city, shattering windows and creating a crater underneath where they fight. Finally, the two wind up for their final attacks, and each deals the other a deadly blow to the head. Lois, Jimmy, and from TV, Martha and Jonathan Kent, look on in horror and grief as the man they love falls. As Lois cradles Superman in her arms, begging him to hang on, Clark asks her, Doomsday, is he, is he? 
Lois answers. You stopped him. You saved us all. Now relax until... Unfortunately, the narration interrupts, saying, But it's too late, for this is the day that a Superman died. Look out, look out, look out! Whoa, here's Cam again. Uh, uh, hey, come it. back. Sorry, no snacks, though. Oh, I'm a little hungry, that sucks. Yeah, me too, but somebody broke into my stash. Shit, there's other people here? Yeah, they're just floating around out there, like me. Man, D- Doomsday isn't here, is he? Uh, no, why? That guy's terrifying, he killed Superman. Yeah, yeah, that, that's in uh, Superman 75, right? Yeah, that's actually the issue we're talking about now. Ah, uh, the death of Superman. Yep. Hey, where were you when Superman died? I was five. Yeah, I, I don't I was, think I remember. I was around that too. But I do yeah. remember hearing about it as I was growing up. Pretty interesting, right? I mean, I, I guess, did it seem like a publicity stunt to you? Looking back and actually reading the comic, I'd have to say so. It's lacking a lot of the punch that more modern Superman comics really have. Uh, the ones that show off his character more than just his skill set. And the fact that they named it right off the bat, Death of Superman sort of takes away the punchline. Yeah, I mean, there there was some pathos to the story. I mean, you know, the stuff with between Lois and Superman, but really it's just, it is kind of a nothing story. Like, who is Doomsday? You, you don't even know at this point. He's just some dude that fell out of the sky and Superman's got to stop him. But, he, you know, he does, but... They he... almost try to be poetic with the introduction of Doomsday in the beginning. Where they're saying, Doomsday is inevitable, Doomsday is coming, and it's just him punching the wall to escape. That's sort of building on something there that kind of flatlines afterwards. Right. All right. Well, did, did you even like the issue? I, I mean, you have a Superman shirt, so I know you're a fan. Uh, yeah. Um, not really. I mean, it felt like just watching a series of Dragon Ball Z episodes where the guys are beating each other up, and there's not a whole lot on the line except for the pride of the people who are beating each other up. I mean, yeah, Metropolis was in danger, but when isn't Metropolis in danger? Right. There wasn't anything special about it, you know? It it would have been more poetic if maybe his death involved Lex Luthor somehow or one of his, like, long-standing villains, but it's just this mystery dude that kind of just shows up. Right. It doesn't feel like there's any intrigue or reason for him to die, except a big brute guy wants him to die, so he die. And they need comics to sell, so he die. Yeah, a little bit rushed. The event came before the story, definitely. All right, so what do you think makes for a good Superman story? What do you what do you like about the character? I like when they highlight the weight of responsibility because that can be different for each person that they choose to take the perspective of, whether it's Superman or one of the people that he interacts with. Everyone has a certain amount of power and everyone is charged with using that power responsibly. So that's what I think highlights a good Superman story. This didn't really show that, and it was a little disappointing. Yeah, he's exciting when he's facing insurmountable odds, and you have to see his power set rise to the occasion. But if that's all there is, then it's not very filling. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think that's uh, pretty indicative of the 90s comics atmosphere in a lot of ways there's a lot of events that they're just struggling to throw out there to improve sales and onslaught was a good example of that i think right yeah the whole onslaught thing that came later and then um heroes reborn Mm. where they it has that infamously bad captain america cover by uh rob leefield with the huge chest 
Yeah, you know, I kind of was thinking about that artwork while I was reading this issue of Superman, too, because it just feels like the same crazy proportions on people drawn into the comics. Yeah, so if I, if you really have to draw a timeline of the excessiveness of 90s comics, I think it starts to peak right at this Death of Superman storyline, and the most egregious example is probably that Onslaught Heroes Reborn stuff that happens later on. Hmm. Yeah, so the whole thing is Superman has to defeat Doomsday after Doomsday beats the entire Justice League, who's this kind of weird 90s lineup. What, what did you think about the Justice League in this? I'd forgotten about some of them, but it was interesting to see some of those side characters brought to the forefront. Uh, really, you almost got to see more of their character than Superman himself. I mean, Guy Gardner not just being a jerk, but figuring out how to work on a team, uh, Maxima doing the same thing and learning to check her, her position in order to help her friends, and Blue Beetle just being Blue Beetle, being skeptical of everybody and uh, trying to figure out what's going on underneath. It was cool to see them, even if they weren't the heavy hitters of the league that you would really expect to come to Superman's side. Yeah, I guess that is kind of neat. I, I suppose the idea was that the heavy hitters, you know, your Superman and your Wonder Woman, they have their own stuff going on. So the Justice League is a separate thing of other characters who, when you need a team to work together to do something, those are the those are the folks you bring in. Meanwhile, all the heavy hitters are doing their own thing. They're strong enough without being a team, I guess. So really, maybe just the Justice League is backup for the heavy hitters. Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, I like the Big Seven, personally. Hey, does that rock look like it's getting bigger? It kind of does. Doesn't that mean it's getting closer? That's what science tells us. Yeah, crap. Hold on tight. This is going to hurt. What, what do I hold on to? There's nothing here. Anything. Uh, sh- the rock. Yikes. <laughs> Superman, how can you be? Alive? Toy Man sent me to the future. Then Vandal Savage and I fought some giant cockroaches. And... It's complicated. All right. Time to fast forward to uh, not that long in the future. Superman returns on panel in July of 1993, not even a full year after he was presumed dead. What's been happening during that time? The event of Superman's death quickly became a media sensation as news outlets big and small reported on the hero's supposed demise. Newsday even made it their front page story. Comic book stores across the land ordered millions of copies of Superman number 75 in advance. Whether you'd been a longtime reader, a former reader, a curious newcomer, or a speculative collector, it seemed like everyone and their dog wanted to check out the death of Superman. DC press statements reported it ultimately selling over 6 million copies, which would make it the best-selling comic of 1992. The Superman line's sales remained high in the months to come. Four new, quote-unquote, Superman pop out of the woodworks, two of them claiming to be the real deal. You've got Eradicator Superman, who bears an uncanny resemblance to Clark except he decides to wear sunglasses and grows his hair out into a mullet. Eradicator decides that the old Superman methods are soft and takes no prisoners in his fight against crime and villainy. Then there's Cyborg Superman, who looks exactly like Superman except half his face and parts of his body are replaced with robot parts. Speaking of robot parts, there's Steel. Steel is an engineer named John Henry Irons, who has designed and built himself an advanced exoskeleton with the Superman insignia in the front. He wields a giant hammer and is generally awesome. Superboy is a clone of Superman. He's a teenager, so has peak early 90s fashion sense, leather jacket included. 
Are any of these figures heroes, or are they pretenders? Do any of them deserve the mantle of Superman? Well, we may just find out in Action Comics, number 689. Written by Roger Stern, drawn by Jackson Guise and Dennis Rodier, lettered by Bill Oakley, and colored by Glenn Whitmore. GBS News is on the scene, reporting on the recent collapse of the Hobbs Neck Bridge. The bridge was destroyed by the terrorist named Stinger, after Superboy and Supergirl attempted to stop the villain. The two heroes emerge from the wreckage intact, and begin saving the survivors trapped underneath the water in their cars. Meanwhile, Unit 12, a short-floating yellow robot with a wide monitor for a head, is interrupted from watching this live report by another short-floating yellow robot, who tells it they're needed. Immediately. You see, the Master's hovering energy cocoon egg thing is overloading and all the floating yellow robots must team up and shut down all solar receptors. This action doesn't prove enough, and the robots decide they need to lower the cocoon into release position. The cocoon egg's shell is broken, revealing a man in a black suit that would definitely be Superman, if not for the fact that this isn't the first, or even second, time a Superman-looking dude popped up after Superman died. Still, yes, eventually this turns out to 100% be Superman. Still very weak from his egg coma time, the robots get Clark a chair to watch TV on. Superman instructs them to tell him everything that's happened. The real deal Man of Steel is not happy that there is a religious group worshipping him at the site of his grave, and isn't thrilled that there are these five posers flying around weakening his brand. The name of Superman will not be turned into a franchise. Meanwhile, Steel fights off a gang of criminals who have been equipped with high-tech laser weaponry. The battle ends when Eradicator kills at least one of them. Steel argues that this isn't Superman behavior, and the two fight it out in the streets. Lois Lane shows up and points out that fighting out in the streets isn't Superman behavior either, and Steel agrees. But when Eradicator physically threatens a lawyer, Steel kicks off the battle again. Their battle nearly takes them into space, and the two plummet back to Earth, forming a big crater. To be continued. But not on this episode. Or... Probably not on the podcast at all. If if you if you want to know what happens, read the the comic. It's it, it's okay. But as far as Superman's resurrection, that's it. He's back. We'll later find out that Superman didn't really die. Obviously, instead he went into a solar coma where he needed to reabsorb solar energy and recover. Yay! All right. Well, I still haven't found Cameron yet. I'm not sure where he is. I'm over here! Oh, just burst Ow. out from that rubble. Are, are you okay? Uh, I've been better. Ah. Man, uh, well, Ugh. do you need some rest? or? I just wish I had those snacks. You know, I had Mars bars in there. That, that would have made me feel better. Yeah, maybe they'll show up. Oh, what are you doing here? Are you still recording? Yeah, just uh, the final issue, Action Comics 689. Uh, that was uh, The Return of Superman. Yep. Yeah, totally unexpected. Yeah, right. Do you think there was any doubt that Superman would actually come back? Not one. Well, yeah, there were probably doubters at the time who were reading the issues as they came out, but reading it in retrospect, no way they're not going to bring Superman back. Yeah, it was kind of interesting how they did it, because there were two other... So, I mean, there was like five Supermans hanging around it during this time. But there was two that actually made a pretty strong case that could be Superman. There was the Cyborg Superman and then 
the one with sunglasses. They both kind of look like him, so... That's true, and you had the clone of Superman, who people were starting to respect anyway. Yeah, yeah, and then you had Steel, who is probably my favorite character that came out of this. Well, he was the one that cared more about acting like Superman than just being a Superman, and he even goes so far as, as to tell one of the other ones in a few of the panels that very thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I guess it wasn't... So yeah, he shows up in Action Comics 689, kind of breaks out of this solar cocoon, but... You know, again, there's 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 two other kind of events of these Superman looking people showing up where you weren't. I guess the reader wasn't exactly sure that this really was Superman or not until. Yeah, you know, you're getting the return of Superman, but we're going to give you five and let you guess. That was uh, a nice little twist, I guess. Yeah, it was interesting how they did it because, yeah, exactly. You know, he's going to come back, but they kind of fake you out a few times. And it's like it makes the suspense more when is he going to come back and who is actually the real one coming back as opposed to whether he'll come back or not. So, well, I think they understood that they had to make up for not giving us a quality story in the death of Superman and give us something a little bit more burgeoning in the return of Superman, something that could lead to offshoots of other stories and new characters. After all, that's what the printing industry wants most, but Superman could be the vehicle for that. If only he were still alive. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. I think the stories that kind of came out after his death are a lot better crafted than the death of Superman was. It's almost like they just needed to get it over with. Exactly. Yeah. Despite that, the media made a, a really big deal about it. All kinds of newspapers and different media outlets. You know, this is on fr- the front pages of newspapers. This was headline news on, on different news channels. This was kind of a big deal for its moment well of course it was he was a media icon people still had the performances by christopher reeve fresh in their mind so everyone knew who superman was of course it's going to be a big media sensation to kill him off right yeah yeah he really had had kind of branched out into obviously branched out into popular culture and, and the imagination of everybody in america and the world at this point so Yeah, it does make sense. So before Superman got killed off, can you recall any other main heroes that were written off in similar fashion by the writers? The big one I can think of is Jean Grey, the Phoenix in X-Men. So she died as part of the Dark Phoenix storyline, which is like one of the most famous X-Men storylines. And then years later, they, they brought her back. But in that case, they they tried to meticulously craft this reason for why Phoenix was thought to be dead and then now resurrected to life. Whereas, like, and that was back in the seventies, right? Right, exactly. Whereas in Superman, this story there there was less of that. The way Superman comes back is just yeah, he was in a solar coma this whole time. He wasn't actually dead, and now he's back. Yeah. And and I think this kind of sets the precedent for, you know, while there definitely were comic book characters who die and then come back before this, I think this this is the biggest example, right? This is the most famous example of a superhero dying and coming back, had the most media coverage. And I think this kind of sets the precedent for other stories to just be like, yeah, you don't need to put too much thought into that. You can kill a character off and then bring the character back. And it's fine because DC did it with Superman and it... Yeah, that's what's really disappointing, is that setting that precedent kind of dumbed down the narration around character deaths for a while. 
and not having any sort of real explanation over why he needed to die and why he needed to come back other than he could that felt so hollow and i think that resonated for a few years in comics yeah i agree so and we're still stuck with it to this day superheroes although i think there there are people who are trying to write differently around the concept of death i mean look at what the x-men are going through on their most recent adventures death has been written into their everyday life where they just constantly revive themselves after being offed it takes death off the table really but it also gives them new problems to deal with around the concept it's uh, a lot different than what's being handled in the pages here yeah i agree i i think what jonathan hickman is doing there with uh, House of X and Powers of X or Powers of Ten is probably the most interesting thing a comic book creator has done regarding deaths and resurrections in, in a really long time because it's just sort of saying, yeah, you all know superheroes die and come back. Let's write that into the story, give a reason for it, and kind of make it eerie and mm, like something mm. could go wrong here that we haven't thought of. So yeah, and I definitely want to talk about that whole series and the different characters that have come back out of that in, in later episodes, but yeah a good point all right and i think that's a wrap on this episode thanks for joining me cameron uh, thanks ben it was a lot of fun thank you thank you thank you for listening to this episode of not a hoax not a dream and thank you again to cameron guile for joining me today if you're looking for a voice actor throw his name in google and look him up he's a talented guy if you haven't listened to episode number zero yet on the original human torch that's available now and there's many more episodes to come If you like this, you can give the podcast a rating, you can subscribe or follow, you can tell a friend. If you have any questions, send me an email at drcomicbookie at gmail.com or find the show's page on Instagram. You can let me know what characters you'd like to see next, or just say hi. Now, how do we get out of here? That is a great question. I've been waiting for some kind of trial. I don't know how the Phantom Zone works. Oh, wait, is that a portal opening? Yeah, looks like it. Maybe we should go through. Yeah, now's our chance. Let's go. Kneel before me, maggot. I have come for all of your Mars bars. Oh, crap. It's Zod. Uh, shit, we gotta get out of here. Yeah, let's go. Now. measure sorry i sound too much like a horse (laughs) maybe one more